All right, and thanks for joining us, everybody. We're live here from the KFES Digital News Desk. We've got Barry Bean here with us today. Barry, how are you uh, today? Well, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, we're getting closer and closer to, to harvest down here in Peach Orchard. Uh, we've seen a few people cut a little bit of corn and a little bit of rice. We're still uh, still working on the, the humidity there. But, uh, but, but the big thing that we're, that we're looking at here is we are, we are in full recovery from field day, or, uh, or as people who are new to the festivities call it Delta Days. But, um, but yeah, we've had, we've had, we had an exciting end of the week last week and uh, encouraged uh, a lot of us to, to prop our feet up this, this weekend and in recovery a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, here in the meantime, I'm going to make sure I've got you uh, so that you can share your screen because, as always, we're going to take a look then at uh, some of the numbers, some of what is going on in uh, in the headlines uh, and, or, and as well as on uh, the, the, the market. Um, can you take us through that now? Absolutely. Let's just hop over here. Uh, and here we go. And so... Today, um, as you can see, um, the cotton was sold off just a little bit. The December cotton traded down 119 points at 88.76, and the uh, December 24 cotton traded down 25 points at 80.47. Uh, the corn closed up four and a half at uh, 486. Soybeans closed down four and a half at 13.65. Rice was at 16.79. That's up 22 and a half. And uh, wheat was up three and three quarters at uh, 5.99 and a quarter. And uh, and, I, and if you look over here on our chart, you see a little bit of the story about what's going on with cotton. And 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 by the way, this would probably be a great time to do a little uh, public service announcement because I've talked to several producers who had a. Uh, who had cotton market orders in um, that were supposed to trigger at 90 cents. And as you see here Friday, we had a, a pretty good little pop there and ran right up to 90 cents, but everybody with an order at 90 cents did not get sold. And uh, people called me up and said, what, what's the deal with that? If, if the order's at 90 cents, don't we sell at 90 cents? And all that means is that at least one contract traded at 90 cents that doesn't mean that any more. Now, if it had gone to 90.01, everybody with a contract at 90 cents would have been sold. But uh, since it didn't, that just means that there was there were some contracts that traded at 90 cents, but not all of them that were currently being offered. And then uh, since people were willing to sell at a lower price, the market fell off a little bit, and we've seen some profit taking today. Let's uh, Let's hop over here real quick and take a look at the Dow Jones average. And uh, as you can see, um, it's a little bit of a little bit of a day off on the Dow Jones average. Now, now the average itself is uh, up 115 points, but that's because of a, that's because of a couple of uh, major movers. If you go through here, you do see uh, you do see a lot of volatility in that number. And of course, being an average is uh, is far from Far from being a, a you know direct uh, m measure of exactly what's happening on the uh, market, so let me uh, get back over here to you. And uh, and a couple of things going on, as I said, we we've saw a profit taking uh, in uh, cotton, and uh, and 
just the opposite. Last week when we saw some of the grain sell off a little bit, we saw some of the shorts there pick back up. Also, we're coming up on a WASD report this week, and so uh, there will be an awful lot of folks uh, trying to square positions. And we also saw, since it was a long weekend, and this being one of the weekends that's that's observed uh, by, by the major markets, um, we, we saw a lot of spec money leave. And uh, as, as, as the saying goes up in Chicago, there was, there was a lot of that money floating around in a boat out there in the, uh, in the Great Lakes this weekend. And this, this, this morning it came back in to uh, come back into the market. Um, another thing that we're seeing is uh, there's a lot of nervousness in this market. There's an awful lot of importers in foreign countries that, that would like to be buying U.S. product. But because of the international economic slowdown and, and the, the start of a recession in China, they are waiting for cash in their pocket so they can pay for U.S. commodities. And of course, that bleeds into all aspects of the market. That's not necessarily unique to any one particular uh, sector of the economy or even one uh, particular commodity. Now, we are especially feeling it in, uh, in cotton right now. Uh, in cotton, there is still huge, huge, huge concern that, that we've got a terrible crop down in Texas we lost a little bit of crop to the hurricane down in Georgia. Not, not, not a terrible loss and, and a fairly minor loss, but still enough to get a few folks' attention. China and India um, are both seeing crop problems in the, uh, in the major production areas. Um, now, Brazil's cotton crop is a, looks good, but we're, we won't be seeing that crop for another six months. Um, we're also seeing, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the harvest begin here in the boot heel. We've seen a few combines ran at the end of last week, and, uh, and I know that we were seeing a lot of tentative runs, a lot of folks making a few passes in a field and uh, then coming back and testing their moisture and seeing that moisture still uh, still too high. And as that moisture gets right to that borderline area, there's always a toss-up because as the saying goes, at the elevator, they pay you just as much for water as they do for corn or for rice, but uh, but you, you obviously get docked above a certain level. So I've seen a few calculators out at the coffee shop with uh, producers take it, taking a look at those moisture numbers, trying to decide if they wanted to leave it in the field, if they wanted to uh, go ahead and take it to the elevator and, uh, and accept the dock, or what I believe most, pre most prudent producers will be doing is uh, taking whatever's being cut throwing it in the bin and turning the fans on it for a few days here so that they're uh, ahead of the game once we get going and if we run into any other kind of weather along the way that, uh, that slows things down. Uh, we're also seeing some news out of, uh, out of our, our, our favorite uh, Russian monarch, or excuse me, elect, elected official uh, in, in Russia. Uh, Vladimir Putin uh, was, was meeting uh, yesterday with uh, President Erdogan of uh, Turkey and uh, as you may recall, that it was President Erdogan who had negotiated with Ukraine, Russia, and the UN to keep that uh, North or that Black Sea uh, shipping corridor open for Ukrainian grain, um, Ukraine being one of the world's major uh, grain suppliers, uh, they, they saw this as not only an economic issue, but a, uh, a, a matter of uh, humanitarian aid for folks who did depend on that, uh, on that grain to, uh, to survive. Uh, well, Putin says that that's gone on long enough. You may recall in July, he shut it down. Um, they have been working some, uh, some alternate routes. 
But uh, now we're also seeing the Russians are bombing grain terminals along the Danube River um, along the Romanian border. Um, now this is uh, this is concerning news uh, because they were hoping to use the Danube as uh, as another uh, as another way to get that grain into Europe, and um, obviously not as as efficient as as using the uh, Black Sea, but still still it was a grain corridor. So at this point, uh, you know, a lot of folks are are looking at this, wondering if Putin is simply saber rattling. Um, as you may recall, the Western nations and the EU have put economic sanctions on him over his invasion of Ukraine, and I believe that he is trying to call their bluff to see if they have uh, if they have the backbone and the w political willpower to actually uh, make good on threats to uh, come in with military. Um, interventions if the uh, sanctions don't work. So those talks go on. Uh, obviously, uh, Vladimir Putin feels like he is in the strongman position right now. So we will be watching that and its effect on, uh, on grains going forward. As U.S. producers in the short run, this could have a positive effect as this heats up in the uh, in the long run. I don't believe there is anyone on the face of the planet who benefits from uh, from increased hostilities there. And certainly those of us who know our history from the last century um, know that this is a terrible thing that would uh, would have long-term consequences for all of us. So uh, so there's a few of the headlines that are that are going on. Oh, and and one other um, headline worth uh, worth paying paying attention is that uh, North Korea and Russia are uh, are engaged in in talks today now this this will not have a direct ag component but uh, but I think it probably goes without saying that um, we're we're all going to be paying close attention to uh, to what happens there to the extent that uh, that diplomatic and military security uh, hinge on both of those uh, countries uh, behaving in a civilized fashion. So we'll all be watching those talks with uh, with some interest. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the story as well. One of the stories that we are following, one of the that we're looking at. Um, the USDA doing research about ag income and uh, seeing a pretty sharp drop of uh, about 23% um, due to the, the crop, or crop prices and uh, the costs related to that. And, but, but it's not necessarily evenly distributed across different crops, right? Uh, can you take us through a little bit more about, about what's impacting this and, and where we're seeing it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The uh, the USDA Economic Research Service, or USDA ERS, uh, produces a report every year forecasting um, ag income for for the upcoming year. And uh, of course, you know we've talked on this show many many times that uh, that ag income isn't simply you know farmers are not a a separate segment of the. Uh, of the economy that can either thrive or fail with no impact to uh, to the rest of us. It's uh, certainly in, in Missouri, it's our largest industry. And depending on whose numbers you use, somewhere between 20 and 40% of the money in the economy at one point runs through, um, runs through agriculture, um, either an input that comes in agriculture or a, an agricultural product that comes out. So this is something that that's a major economic indicator that, that we all watch. And of course, it's huge interest to anyone who's watching this show and has an interest in agriculture. And they did say that they see a 23% drop in farm income due to lower crop prices and higher input costs 
uh, compared to last year. And uh, we're also looking at most likely a 19% drop in government support. Um, the past two years, we have seen a boost in farm income, and that was largely due to, uh, to, to government subsidies and economic offsets to, uh, to offset um, impacts, you know, some of the lingering impacts of, uh, of, of ag intervention or economic interventions in, a, in ag trade, also some of, some of the COVID money that was flowing into agriculture. But, uh, but all in all, a 23% drop in ag income is, uh, is pretty substantial. And certainly to anyone here in the heartland who's watching this show, we know that that is uh, likely a very, very strong impact on uh, certainly, you know, the first thing that, that we think of is uh, implement sales, automobile sales, truck sales. Uh, we, we start looking at what what, imp what inputs could potentially be cut, whether producers could go to, to lower grade seed or lower rates of uh, fertilizer application or herbicide application, looking at ways to, uh, to cut input costs that could potentially also um, trim yields or trim quality. Now they did find that the uh, the year's net farm income should come in at about $141 billion down from $181 billion. Now that's in direct income to producers. That doesn't count the multiplier effect as you go out and you start accounting for grain elevators or textile trade and, and that sort of thing, uh, processing plants. But um, what's interesting that um, in, in certain, um, certain commodities, for instance, in hay, beef, vegetable, and melons, we could actually see an increase in, uh, in producer income. Now, certainly on hay, I think a lot of this you could track directly to, to the uh, increased price of hay given the drought in the Midwest. And uh, certainly cattle farmers have been over a barrel there uh, with, uh, with being able to feed their herds, which may paradoxically also be increasing the, uh, the rate that they are getting paid because as they trim their herds down, it limits the supply, the demand stays fairly static. So uh, limit supply, maintain demand, we know that prices should go up. Anybody that takes Economics 101 is, is up to date on that. Now, I'm not really sure about uh, what's going on there with the uh, vegetable and melon farmers. Um, actually, I, I just saw Aaron from, uh, from Weaver Produce. I should have asked him about uh, what was going on that was, that was making his, uh, his farm a little more lucrative than, than mine. But um, certainly, that's, uh, we're seeing the biggest cuts in the traditional commodities, cotton, wheat, corn, and soybeans. And, uh, and I think it's, I mean, this is just a straight story of input costs have been through the roof. You pull out the uh, the subsidies that, that that were there, and at the same time, prices come off of the highs that we saw in the past two years. So, so it looks like it could be a little bit of a challenge here uh, going forward into the next year. Um, but you know, as I frequently uh, remind my friends from outside agriculture or younger producers who maybe have only been been in farming for five or ten years that. Uh, Agriculture is a field where if you can make money four years out of five, you're doing pretty well. You're doing pretty well. So uh, folks will be doing a lot of uh, belt tightening. Um, I, I think it could be a little bit of a tough time to be selling $100,000 pickup trucks. But uh, we'll, we'll see if we can sell a few of those next year if, uh, if things work out. Certainly. Uh, and as we continue onward then, um, th we're, we're following the story. Uh, pardon me here. I've lost my place, but um, 
watching the possibility of a government shutdown, right? Uh, and the potential implications that come then for services affecting agribusiness, affecting farmers. Um, what do we what do we see there? Um, what's the the concern and uh, likelihood really? Well, um, as as some of y'all may know, um, the the government has to uh, pass a budget each year to operate. Now they're not very good at sticking to it, but they still have to to pass it. And uh, certainly at a time when the House and Senate um, are divided by by razor thin margins between Republican and Democrat, and the White House isn't getting along well with uh, with Congress, um, this means that there is a lot of debate, and it means that that small groups actually take on an outsized influence in the process. Uh, people like the Freedom Caucus, who are perfectly content to shut down the government to try to get concessions from Democrats and from mainstream Republicans on, uh, on what they want. Um, so when we didn't pass a budget earlier this year, uh, Congress passed what they call a continuing resolution. And that is, well, okay, we're going to, we're going to kick the can down the road. We'll agree to let the government function for another couple of months until the end of September. Well, as the end of September comes up, that means there's a potential that if Congress cannot agree on a budget and send it to the White House, that we could see a government shutdown beginning October 1st. And uh, that's, that's you know, it, it sounds, I know that there's some folks who are a little skeptical about government or maybe a little cynical about the process who think that's fine. You know, what does it matter to me? And I think the, the fact of the matter is that there are an awful lot of essential services that absolutely depend on a functioning government, um, among other things, uh, any non-essential service, which uh, some of them get pretty essential. For instance, in uh, agriculture, our ability to uh, put cotton in the loan and then get cotton back out of the loan is frozen because that's not considered an essential service by, uh, by Congress. And so uh, when this happened in 2018 and 2019, we had about 60% of the United States cotton crop that ended up basically frozen. Producers couldn't get it. The buyers couldn't get it. Warehouses were having a tough time getting paid. The whole crop was frozen. And you go into other commodities that had a similar programs. You had a you had loan services and you had producers who had made plans, who had USDA loans, had plans for contractors to come out, do work, et cetera. So as this goes, of course, there's a lot of debate about things that are not related to agriculture. But here's something interesting. Um, as, as I said, I know that there are some folks out there who are maybe a little cynical or maybe are uh, in line with the so-called Freedom Caucus um, who say, fine, shut it down, let them come up with something important that they want to do. Well, one of the things that happens is that there are some programs that, that continue, the things that are part of what's called permanent law. They're just set there. Uh, for instance, crop insurance continues to operate because that's part of permanent law. So that basically goes on. The same insurance policy that you bought and paid for is still valid, still operates, and that's not affected. However, um, if, the, if the government shut down beginning on January 1st, 2024, all of our ag policy would revert to permanent law. Now, one of the things that that means, and uh, we used to talk about this a lot back in the 1970s, is that our crops would immediately get support for what's called parity pricing. 
which would be somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five dollars a pound for cotton. Um, the uh, price supports for dairy go from their current um, nineteen dollars per uh, per hundred weight to sixty seven dollars per hundred weight. Uh, the non-recourse, the loan rate on corn would go from two twenty a bushel to fifteen dollars a bushel. Now, on the one hand, that sounds great if you're a corn farmer. You can go put your your corn in the loan for $15 a bushel, celebrate and go home. Well, unfortunately, that would also near, nearly bankrupt the government. Nearly, certainly, it would nearly bankrupt all of our programs and would throw a huge instability wrench into the entire ag economy, which would bleach out into the rural economy. And we go back into the very boom and bust that the farm program is supposed to uh, keep us safe from. Now, as I said, the House is back in session uh, today, and I believe the Senate comes back in next Monday or Tuesday. And um, a lot of these stories, I mean, this may be a little bit of saber rattling from from folks who are eager to to get a farm bill. But uh, there are a lot of folks who are pretty confident that we will see an extension of the farm bill. And, and at this point, uh, and this includes a conversation that I had with uh, Senator Hawley, uh, last week at a field day over there at the Delta Center in Portageville, the premier agricultural event in the central United States. But uh, there is still some talk about whether we'll see the Farm Bill extended just with the next CR, our continuing resolution on the budget, until maybe March, or whether we would simply see it, uh, as some people believe, uh, folks that I've talked to with some direct connections to uh, Senator Bozeman, down in uh, Arkansas, the uh, the ranking member of the uh, Senate Ag Committee, who believed that we could see the entire farm bill extended for another year so that it would not expire until September 31st of next year and, and we could spend the summer trying to write a new bill. So uh, at any rate, I th I'd say at, at this point, based on the folks that I've talked to, it sounds like there is about a 48% chance that the government could shut down. There are, folks are folks are pretty uh, confident that we will not see a government shutdown, but uh, but they're only confident so far. And again, this is a process that a very very small minority on either side could potentially throw a throw a wrench into. So we'll be paying close attention. But uh, certainly, if you are uh, if you're involved in agriculture. I would take time to uh, visit with the FSA now about uh, about which programs would be operating, which programs would not be operating after October 1st in the event of a shutdown so that you can uh, make, make preparations uh, ahead of time. Uh, now, I can say, as you know, I'm a cotton merchant, I'm in the cotton business, and the last time we had this, uh, many of our cotton merchants were willing to uh, work out negotiations with uh, with contract terms to keep cotton from going through the loan so that the cotton could still potentially move. But this is not always an easy process. And right now, most of the cotton in the Mid-South that's been sold will require the government loan to uh, operate. So uh, certainly the, the folks who have purchased uh, commodities are taking a good close look at this to see which contracts can be modified to allow cotton to trade or to allow the commodity to trade on a cash basis and which ones still need the uh, still need the uh, CCC loan to operate. So an awful lot of things, uh, probably more than we could cover in a, in a week of shows like this, but it's going to be exciting times the next couple of weeks. So you can look to Washington for uh, 
for a little bit of, for some fireworks and a little excitement. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Um, the World Trade Organization, meanwhile, is backing the United States in the trade war situation among uh, China's uh, tariffs, retaliatory tariffs against the U.S. Um, what are we seeing here? What's, what's, what's happening? How do we expect it to all shake out? Well, now this is this is huge news. This is huge news, uh, and uh, you know I apologize for being a little cotton centric. If uh, if some of my grain producing neighbors are are listening to this, but uh, you know we've not had a great uh, track record with the WTO. The WTO came came in uh, several years ago when Brazil sued the uh, United States and and in the WTO and uh, said that our farm program distorted trade and uh, they essentially dismantled our, our farm program for cotton for uh, several years. So people were not expecting great things as we went to the WTO to complain about Chinese tariffs that are distorting trade. And I'm happy to say that um, according to the, to the WTO, the World Trade Organization, China wrongly imposed retaliatory tariffs against U.S. products, including pork, wine, fruits, and nuts in response to the Trump era tariffs. So, uh, I mean, this is a little bit of tit for tat. And uh, basically what they said is that China went way, way too far um, in responding to the, uh, to the Trump tariffs. Uh, so this is, uh, this is absolutely, uh, absolutely fascinating. Um, as, as these uh, tariffs went on, U.S. food and ag exports uh, dropped by nearly 10%. Uh, which is which is no minor no that's that's no minor change. You can imagine if your next paycheck uh, were were cut ten percent, you would notice it. You would notice it. That's not simply a matter of uh, skipping Starbucks on the way in. Um, now China and the U.S. Uh, have declared a, a a truce in the trade war, although um, we are still waiting for some of the uh, step one provisions to uh, to be to be made good on. So uh, so that's still. Uh, that is still an ongoing issue, but the um, you know the big news here is the uh, the process is proceeding, and at least in the first round, the WTO says uh, they've they've backed the U.S. complaint. So uh, it remains to be seen what sort of sanctions they might lay um, in on on China and what they might do in terms of the tariffs. But um, that is good news for uh, for U.S. producers and uh, fascinating news for uh, for U.S. China diplomacy. Absolutely. All right. Um, lastly, we are looking at uh, kind of a mi or a macro story out of the uh, continuous stories that we have about uh, about uh, the the problem of invasive species, and that comes with a U United Nations report um, focusing on the extreme toll that invasive species. Uh, cause the world's economy. And so uh, research into that has shown $400 billion in, uh, in, in costs there. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? What did we learn from this um, helps put it all into perspective? Well, this is, it, it was fascinating um, that the, the UN did a study and they had a team of uh, 86 researchers from 49 countries who did a four-year assessment of the economic impact of some 3,500 um, harmful invasive species. And they found that economic costs 
total $423 billion a year um, with, uh, with, with invasive species playing some sort of role in 60% of recorded um, plant and animal extinctions. Now, now this is a pretty interesting from, from a number of different perspectives. Uh, certainly their role in extinctions um, is, that, that, was, that was news to me. Um, although we know that they are a challenge, for, for native species, uh, it was a reminder that, uh, that these are a problem. And of course, as there's more international trade, as travelers go back and forth, uh, we are seeing these invasive species become more and more of an issue. Um, now, another thing that I did not know is that the economic damages have quadrupled every decade since 1970. Uh, I'm not really sure what happened in 1970 that was different from, say, the 50s or the 60s. Uh, I didn't get a chance to read the original source document here, but, but quadrupling every decade since 1970 and still on a, a similar pace. And so, uh, you know, it, they walked through uh, some, of, some of the side effects, including things that you wouldn't ordinarily think of. Uh, for instance, apparently the deadly wildfires uh, there in Maui were, uh, were driven in part by flammable invasive grasses that were brought over from Africa as livestock pasture. And uh, these, these species have, uh, have gone out of the pasture. They've, uh, they've taken over some, uh, some native grasslands and apparently they are more flammable than uh, some of the native grasses were there. And uh, certainly something that all of us down at the boot heel are familiar with. And we've talked a little bit about some of the invasive mosquitoes that we see here, although some of us have never seen a mosquito we did not consider invasive. Uh, they are certainly that way in my house. But, uh, you know, they are certainly uh, attributed to the spread of dengue, excuse me, dengue fever, malaria, Zika, and West Nile virus. So uh, anyhow, some actual numbers there to, uh, to talk about uh, the impact of invasive species and all the more reason that when we talk about this on this show, where you see that groups like uh, Missouri Department of Agriculture or Missouri uh, Department of Natural Resources uh, talk about things you need to do, for instance, moving farm equipment from state to state or bringing plants in from, uh, from out of the area, those things really do matter because uh, some of that $423 billion is coming out of our pockets right here in Missouri. And some of those effects, for instance, the, uh, the invasive mosquitoes are actually impacting those of us uh, right here. So, uh, so some, some pretty fascinating news there from, uh, from a study of, uh, let's see, what did I say here? 86 uh, researchers from 49 countries. So uh, I don't know, if, if it had been me, I would have found 14 more researchers, so it could be 100 researchers in 50 countries. But uh, they, did not, they did not consult with the uh, by the bushel team before they, before they wrapped up the study. Yep. I mean, if, if there's 14 researchers out there would like to contact the UN, we can get that, make, make that a nice round number. <laughs> nice to have a, <laughs> a good round numbers. And so, uh, but all the same, a great, uh, a great picture of, of kind of the really chaotic, I guess, uh, or, or at least com complex uh, situation that is our, uh, our, our ecosystems and how they relate to one another and how the, the various variables uh, are impacting those and, and, downstream of that our economy and so uh barry bean uh he is a missouri farm bureau board member barry thank you as always for being here appreciate your time today uh, my pleasure it's always always a pleasure to come here and talk about ag 
Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Tehranians as well. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, stick around. Heartland News, or excuse me, Heartland Afternoon uh, is our new three o'clock show coming up here in just a few minutes. Uh, Stick around. We will have that here as well as all of your evening shows with the four, five, and six. We'll be back with you here shortly.